Hey guys, today's sponsor is Hero Cosmetics. They sent us over the Mighty Patch, which is a hydrocolloid acne patch. I actually had a pimple pop up the other night, so I stuck on a Mighty Patch original overnight, and in the morning, the pimple was totally flat. I really have to say this worked. In fact, even my teenage daughter is obsessed. She's been stealing them from me all week. It's very cool. If you guys want to try the Mighty Patch for yourself, use code SHAMELESS15 for 15% off on HeroCosmetics.com. That's H-E-R-O-C-O-S-M-E-T-I-C-S.com. Hey, everybody. This is Jen Rosenbaum. I am your hostess of the Shamelessly Feminine Podcast, and today I am so grateful to be welcoming Melanie Rogers. She is a certified eating disorder registered dietitian, and uh, I think that this is pretty amazing to have her right now because we are still in the corona pandemic. And um, I think that food is a really hot topic right now. So she's also a supervisor in the treatment of eating disorders, and she's the founder and executive director of Balance Eating Disorder Treatment Center uh, here in New York City. Wait till you guys hear her New York accent. It's one that I wish I had. Melanie, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the show. Jen, thank you so much for having me. Here I am with my broad New York City accent. Right, right. Not. <laughs> It's what I call the international New York City accent, right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> where are you from you, originally? Originally from Australia. Right, where in Australia? In, uh, from Melbourne. Very nice. Well, welcome yeah. to New York, my fellow thank New Yorker. You. <laughs> <laughs> I've been here for 20 years, but thank you for that, Jen. <laughs> so, Melanie, tell us a little bit about you. Um, you have a very impressive bio. I didn't get into everything. Tell us a little bit about you and um, we'll take it from there. Absolutely. Thanks, Jen. Uh, I am a, an eating disorder specialist. Disordered eating and eating disorders are, are what I do. Um, I myself am fully recovered from an eating disorder many years ago. So I bring that lived experience to our clients move towards recovery. And um, a big part of what I do is, is merge the research with lived experience, which gives hope to people. Um, and I have a wonderful team of therapists and nutritionists that I work along with. And right now we are busy trying to uh, do everything virtually and uh, homeschool kids and do juggle so many things, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we were just talking about that before we started recording about just how much we are taking on right now. And, you know, I don't think that it's only women, but I think that women take the majority of the burden of what's going on here. So I do want to acknowledge all the men and the dads and the husbands out there that are, uh, you know, doing a lot. But that said, I almost killed my husband the other day when he said to me, he came home and he said, oh, these kids are so they're crazy. They're so annoying. And I just looked at him and I was like, no, you have no right to say that because you're gone all day in your office. And I am literally dealing with it 24 seven. So you have zero right to complain about them. In fact, what you should do is come home and push me out the door yes. <laughs> Take over for a little while. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, to bring it into food and why I think that, you know, and I welcomed you on the podcast and why I think this is so important is because it seems like our whole day runs around food in a way. And maybe this is or isn't tied into eating disorders per se, but I don't think I'm the only one that's gained a few pounds <laughs> through this pandemic or 
um, beating myself up over things that I have been eating or comforting myself with food. So can you talk about that a little bit? Um, how do oh. you know, for example, like, oh, I'm just, I'm just dealing with what's going on in the world right now and stress versus I have an actual problem with food. Yeah, great, great question there, Jen. I think we're seeing by and large, um, you know, we're, we're trapped in our homes, the kitchen's there, the fridge is there. Comfort eating is, is actually a normal part of the experience around food, but I think we're finding that we're probably doing more comfort eating than we would normally because there's no other diversion mm. and there is no other way to comfort ourselves. So all the normal things that we might do that make us feel good in a day or help us reduce our stress they're completely not available to us. So mm-hmm. food has taken on an even more enhanced role than it would normally. And as we know, a combination of, of not moving around and maybe you, your exercise routine or activity is, is not what it was, combined with more comfort eating, for many people they're going to say see a shift in their in their weight during this time, which which is really distressing. Um, so we're seeing a lot of people who are exhibiting a great deal of distress. And you ask me what's the difference between some comfort eating and then maybe disordered eating or even an eating disorder. It really comes down to it's all on a spectrum actually. It comes down to frequency and amounts. So the more frequent and the larger the amounts when we talk about overeating and we have to then add in how much distress is it causing. Mm. Now, for some people, it is all relative. For some people, if you have, let's say, I ate three cookies instead of one cookie and I'm really distressed about that, that may be because your threshold of how much you expect yourself to eat is actually pretty tight. Um, And so I would want to know more about that relationship with food. Maybe it's a little bit over-controlled. But then, of course, we have other clients where, um, you know, they're feeling great distress because of the volume of what they're eating. So the key marker there is how much distress is it causing you? And we're actually seeing a huge increase in inquiries, Jen, to, um, for our services and for support at this time because people are finding that they're really what they thought maybe was um, an okay relationship with food and body image, et cetera, is, is not as robust or as um, uh, recovery-oriented if there was something underlying it before or maybe they're just going down a rabbit hole mm-hmm. and, food, and food is the one thing we have access to right now. Mm-hmm. So it's really tricky. It's really tricky. Yeah, it's so interesting because I think food is such a trigger. It's such a, um, like you said, comfort. It's almost, um, it can be a very hidden addiction. It can be, you know, and here we are sitting home and having to sit with our feelings. <laughs> and I think that that's part of the triggers for, for people, right? Like maybe their, their relationship with food was no different two months ago, but they just weren't triggered to, to have this overeating or undereating or, you know, whatever it may be. I hope I'm using the right terms because I'm not, sure. you know, very yeah. well uh, knowledgeable in this area. But uh, I find that for me. And I, and I do find for me that I will... I go through this, like, I'm going to eat the brownie. And as I'm eating the brownie going, you shouldn't be eating this brownie and, and saying, you know, shut up. <laughs> this brownie tastes good right now. Be quiet. <laughs> exactly. And then the pain comes later when you stand on the scale or you go to put on the jeans and somehow there's that disconnect, you know, between what you're doing and how you're feeling. Absolutely. When you find that there's a disconnect like that, it's a really good example then we know that there's there's more going on mm. um, in the sense of emotions are driving 
um, that desire to self-soothe often in the moment, which is, is actually a protective mechanism because if you think about it, we're not designed to feel out of whack. We're not designed to feel horrendous and over-anxious, etc. That's not a, 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 a way that we're designed to exist. So when we are feeling that way, our survival mechanism is to try to bring that back down to a more balanced level Mm. and so food in this case is is having a purpose but unfortunately it's it also has a side effect which is maybe more calories than people are usually used to taking in and then there's this kind of side effect of what happens on the scale or that your genes start to not fit Mm. And, and what can happen there which is really tricky with this gen is that then there can be a lot of beating yourself up about I can't believe I did that. Why don't I just forgo the, the brownie? Why didn't I say no? Now my genes don't fit. And that can then add to even more stress, which can actually drive you to seek out even more brownies. Mm. So what can start to happen is people can get caught in this cycle and the more you beat yourself up, the worse it becomes. Mm. So is, is that is that a better example of, for example, like a disordered eating versus an eating disorder? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's fairly common. And so I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to use labels in the sense of for right now, I think this is an artificial environment where we may be just kind of seeing more of that type of distress and, you know, comfort eating with mm. some distress related to it. But once, you know, once we're able to kind of venture outside again and when you have your natural diversions and such, you may find that that, that kind of settles itself back down mm. because you have those other uh, uh, access to other things that help you stay in balance. Mm. So it may be just a very temporary um, period and not necessarily disordered or an eating disorder um, because it's, a, a very, um, it's very specific to the current environment, which is crazy. I mean, it's so, so out of the norm of anything we've ever experienced, right? However, the the key point there is that if it were to then continue, um, then you might want to have a look at it and say, gosh, Mm. what's going on here? Yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting because food also is the thing that brings people together often. And so that is, you know, what what I'm finding personally is that food just isn't tasting that good. And I don't know if it's because it's the experience behind the food that usually is there and it's missing now. Um, and I also find it so interesting that, you know, it's, it's something to do. It's a bonding thing. I've baked a ton of things with my kids. I mean, my mom is making bread by the, you know, dozens. It's like, you know, and I see most people on, inter- on the internet are making bread right now. It's a thing. Try, try, <laughs> try to find bread flour in New York. You cannot find it. It's, my, my mom was like, you need to go find bread flour for me. I'm like, okay, I'll go find your bread flour. Um, so it's just so interesting that, you know, we're just noticing that. And like I said, it's a thing that, that brings people together and we're missing that. And I think maybe we're also searching for it yeah. and, and overdoing it in that way. Absolutely. You know, you're talking about the human connection and the experience of eating. So it's not just, you know, when we share meals with family members or friends, it's not just the fuel, right? As you rightly said, it's the experience and there's an emotional uh, benefit to sitting down and eating with other people. And we're we're really deprived of that right now. So again, those, you know, even 
we're designed for physical contact. We're designed for hugs. You know that when we hug each other, um, particularly when you um, touch someone's back, there's a and um, we release chemicals, the feel good chemicals yeah. that make us feel you know more connected to people. Yeah. Um, and so all of those things are, are not available to us right now. So it makes sense that we're relying more and more on food. And then, as you said, in also um, I think there's also a taste fatigue, or it just doesn't. You know, it's kind of uh, the uh, irony is that on one hand we're we're leaning on food to provide us with this kind of emotional hit, if you will, um, but on the uh, on the other hand, it is not it's not tasting the same. It's it's missing something. Yeah. You know, so I think that really what that is is that we're seeking out some kind of emotional piece, and the food is is not providing that. Yeah. Um, I got to tell you though, Jen, I am sick to death of cooking and cleaning up and then thinking I'm sick to death of just having to think about three meals a day yeah. as, a, as a working person. Um, a lot of what I do would be grab, grab breakfast, run out um, to my office as many people would. And then, you know, you grab lunch somewhere out or you have it ordered in or whatever. Um, I didn't have to think about preparing it myself and, and, and then dinner, etc. It's It's a kind of exhausting every single day. It is exhausting and it takes the joy out of it. It does. It does. You know, I, I said to my husband the other day, I go, do these kids have to eat still when this is over? <laughs> I'm still going to have to make them three meals a day every day. when no. this is over. It's so interesting. I mean, I think about all the times that my girlfriends and I have complained about packing up school lunches. And now I'm like, I would kill to send them out, you know, and, and pack lunch and have some normalcy in that way. But yeah, it's exhausting. And sometimes even cutting up vegetables, like I'll go to the Ugh. store and I'll be like, oh, I'll buy all these veggies and I'll cut them up and we'll have healthy food. And I just don't even want to do it. It's just exactly. exhausting. It is exhausting. It is exhausting. And your motivation, you know, drops. And, you know, I'm a little bit envious, I have to say, of all these people on social media who are becoming, you know, who are finding their inner gourmet chef. And I'm like, gosh, I wish I had some of that because I am completely the opposite right now. I'm like, no, I don't want to think about it anymore. Can we can we live on toast with peanut butter and cereal for the next six weeks? You know, I just uh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. You, I'm so glad you're saying this because it makes me feel so much less guilty <laughs> about you know my son will eat cereal three times a day if I let him, and some days I just let him because exactly. I'm just too tired. Done. Absolutely. Look, at least he's getting some kind of fuel. It's right. Okay. <laughs> so let me ask you. Uh, let's talk about clean eating because we talk about vegetables and cutting things up and making our own food. Is this, is clean eating the same thing as healthy eating? That's one of the questions that, you know, I always ask guests, what can we talk about? That's one of the things you brought up. And I thought there's a few questions here actually that are really triggering me. I really want to know the answers to this is one of them. <laughs> is, is clean eating the same as healthy eating? Uh, depends on people's definition, but I think clean eating is the new healthy eating. Let me put it that way. It's just the new verbiage for it. However, clean eating, if you look at the definition of it, usually means, um, you know, no antibiotics, no growth hormones, pesticides, organic, etc. Um, and so there's a real focus with clean eating, not just on the nutritional content, which is, you know, healthy eating is nutrition, vitamins, minerals, but where it's sourced from and how it was produced. Yeah. So I think it's taking healthy eating to another level. Yeah. And, uh, and so there is a big, a big focus on that at the moment with clean eating. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm really careful about that. That's one of the things I feel like, you know, for me, I don't, you know, if I'm going to eat something that's a little 
maybe not as healthy, like cheese or something like that. At least I'm going to make sure that it's, you know, from a grass fed cow and it's organic and makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> cheese is actually really good for you, Jen, by the way, but that's okay. No, good. Tell me that. All right. I'll see you guys later. I'm going to go eat lunch. No. <laughs> well, all right. Let's talk about that for a second, because one of the things that you had mentioned is that, you know, why diets don't work and what are the alternatives. And I want you to please make some sense into me and so many other people out there whose genes are tight right now and are beating themselves up on the scale and are just thinking, I need to go on a diet. I need to go on a diet. I need to go on a diet. Why don't they work? Diets don't work. Yeah, I know. It's it's pretty devastating to a lot of people. Um, I think what you're talking about is, let me just normalize that, is some um, natural or, or unnatural circumstances that are leading to some shifts in your body weight range Mm -hmm. and then should you go back to what you how you were so post-covid when we can move around outside a bit more and you go back to your usual lifestyle and what you usually eat and how you usually move about without dieting um, I think many people will find that their weight will actually trend back down to where it was. Um, so I want to just kind of normalize that because weight is a range. And under these circumstances, it's kind of like, you know, the winter hibernation where, you know, some people see 5, 10, even 15 pound weight fluctuation over winter. And then without really doing anything, they find that their body weight over summer just t- tends to naturally trend at a, a lower a lower range. So I want to just kind of normalize that. But why don't diets work? So we know that 95% of diets fail. Uh, what that means is that uh, many people are very, very good at losing weight. But you notice that most people are not able to keep the weight off. And not only do they regain the weight, but they regain even more than when they originally went on the diet, plus mm-hmm. some. Mm-hmm. So this is called, uh, you know, chronic weight cycling. If you do that over and over and over again, or yo-yo dieting, we call it, chronic weight cycling means that if every single time you go on a diet and you lose the weight, but then uh, you regain it. And the reason that that happens, Jen, is because your, bi- your body physiologically, biologically fights against the weight loss. Mm -hmm. So what we understand from the research is our bodies are genetically kind of uh, designed to be at a certain weight, Mm -hmm. a weight range, in the Mm -hmm. same way that our bodies are designed to be a certain height or a certain hair colour or a certain eye colour. And whether we like it or not, um, we can't really change that body weight range that we're designed Mm -hmm. to be in, even though... $74 billion a year is spent on the health and wellness industry telling us that we can. Mm. Um, We know that 95% of the time, no, you can't, and it leads to even more significant weight gain. Mm. So so in a nutshell, that's kind of why um, diets don't work. But more importantly, it's it's what's going on under the hood, so to speak. Mm. So there are biochemical changes that are happening. There are appetite chemical regulations that are changing as a result of the weight loss, your metabolism changes. And ultimately the body's goal is to defend that weight that we're designed to be at because that's Mm -hmm. where your body operates optimally. Um, so that that's in it in a nutshell. I mean, the consequence in what I see, because my, my, my subspecialty in eating disorders is actually working with overeating, uh, people who struggle with overeating and binge eating. 
And what we see with that weight cycling that we just uh, mentioned is that if you if you go on 10 diets and let's say with every diet you go on, you regain five pounds. Mm. Well, after 10 diets, you're now 50 pounds heavier mm. than you were when you first started. And at that level, there can be some irreversible changes that occur, which mm. means that's your new set point, mm. you know? Yeah. Which what is, are the, I'm assuming. Yeah, go I'm, ahead, Jen. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was going to say I'm assuming other things affect that set point in the way like, uh, you know, I'm a cancer survivor and certain medications, yes. uh, hormones, menopause, things of that nature, you know, change that. And I think that for me personally, that's what is so um, traumatizing about gaining weight, like in a situation like this is because it's not so easy to come off <laughs> as it used to be, you know, so, so how do you know what set weight your body is supposed to be at? Yeah, it's a really good question. And there's no, there's no clear way to read it other than um, if we go back to what is the way that our body naturally balances how much we eat. It's through our own intuitive regu- uh, internal regulatory system of hungerfulness satiety. Um, and so, you know, we're born with that, right? We know that babies cry because they're hungry. We feed them. If you keep feeding them and they're full, they'll spit it out. And so we have this highly sophisticated internal mechanism to tell us how much we need uh, and to stop when we're full and we've had enough. Now, along the way as adults, that gets messed up. Um, And so to come back to that internal regulatory system of hungerfulness satiety as best we can, doesn't have to be perfect, um, is your best guide to trying to figure out where's my weight naturally supposed to be. And that is also considering things like you just mentioned, Jen. You know, there are some medications that we know we don't even know the causes actually, but they contribute to weight gain. We don't know the, the actual pathways that are changed. Um, and, and some of the cancer meds definitely uh, fall into that category. For women, we've got childbirth um, and pregnancies. Uh, a lot of women struggle with uh, getting back to their, their pre-pregnancy weight. So there can be some slow creeping up in body weight there. And then, of course, menopause, that's another hit where the average woman gains about 15 pounds during that period. And then, of course, from 25 on, our metabolic rate slowly but surely slows down. Mm -hmm. So what I want to say from using all those examples is that what was our kind of set weight when we were 20 or 25 is a little bit different to when we're 40 or 50 or 60 for sure um, because of a multitude of those factors. And so I think what I... What I guard against is this, is that when we get really obsessive about being a certain weight and we start counting calories and restricting and doing this and doing that, and then we have all that negative internal dialogue and we are very critical of our bodies, it affects our mental health and our health overall. So my goal is to help people, our clients, be a little bit more accepting of, you know, weight is a range and it may be not what you want to embrace but um, but there has to be some kind of acceptance around it and moving beyond just body image and weight on a scale, even though society tells us it's so damn important, especially for women. Yeah, which you is know. another topic. I mean, oh, you yeah. know, I as a photographer, a woman yes. photographer, I'm very in tune with that. And I just think it's so interesting because even now, like women used to come in and ask me to make them look thinner. Now women come in and they ask me to make them look curvier. 
And, you know, the ideal of body image has changed. And it's like the now the thicker, the better, except you have to be thick in the right places. You can't be, you know, like as if we can control that. Um, and, and it's tough to compete with that. And you know what, I'm going to be 45 this year. And I find that I'm not seeing things on social media, on TV, in movies that I resonate with. I don't see women that look like me. I don't see um, women that are my age or older that are on social media or on TV don't have wrinkles and don't have movement in their forehead. And I'm not judging. Everybody can do their own thing. Um, but I, I find it difficult that if, you know, for me, I'm a person who's chosen not to do those things as of right now, and I don't relate to a lot of what I see. And that's really disheartening. It is really disheartening. And I think you're not alone in that. I think we're in a similar age group, Jen. Um, and it's really hard. I mean, this is my area of specialty, right? And I find it's really hard to stay grounded in, in my core beliefs around letting the body do what it's naturally going to do. And aging is something we can't stop. Mm. Um, and, and yet there are very few role models to look out there at, you know, through this process and, and be okay with, with accepting your body. Mm. So therefore you've got to protect yourself, which as you said, is maybe not following, um, you know, certain, um, certain insights or, or, or whatnot, but, it is very difficult. Um, you know, my, my grandmother was so wise and, uh, and she said, um, and she said to me, you know, every single wrinkle here was earned and is a, is an indication of, you know, hopefully wisdom of years of years lived. Mm. Um, and it was such a way to embrace just a natural process, you know, but, uh, we're almost shamed, I think. Uh, the way that aging is handled is that it's something to be ashamed of and prevented, mm -hmm. which means it's a bad thing as opposed to it's just a natural biological process, mm -hmm. you know. And I don't know about you, Jen, but I just don't want to spend time, my valuable time and my valuable energy on fighting against something that's inevitable anyway. Right. I've got better things to do with my brain power and my heart and my time and my love, you know. So um, trying to help people... Um, take a step back and disconnect a little bit and be a bit more objective about this whole cycle that we get sucked into mm. um, that particularly for women is is very, very toxic. Yeah, I'm hoping in a way that this time out of that uh, sort of culture, right? Like as women, we can't go out right now and get manicures and pedicures and color our hair and get our Botox and do our eyelashes and our eyebrow waxes and all the things that we do to upkeep. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying any of those things are bad things. There, I, I believe me, the first thing I'm doing is getting a manicure when this is all over. <laughs> I'm dying for a manicure. Um, but it just reminds us how unimportant it is at the end of the day, right? And how it doesn't really affect who we are and our worth in fact, we're more worthy now, I think, than we've ever been before holding our families together and our homes together and cooking and cleaning and schooling and working and doing all the things. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think staying, you know, my mantra right now um, to try to just stay as balanced as I can, I have three things to focus on. Uh, first is safety, being safe. Second is sanity, keeping my sanity no matter what. The other day I, I had to, I had to have my my uh, daughter's dad take her 
and I just had the afternoon to <laughs> regather my thoughts so I didn't kill anyone. And I played solitaire for five straight hours, mm-hmm. which is not something I've ever done in my entire life, but I was just, I felt like I was using my, losing my mind. Mm-hmm. So being safe, sanity, and then staying sober, whatever that means to you. Sober meaning just a, an S word. Mm-hmm. Um, that means behaviours that you know are going to hurt you. Um, so it might be relying more on alcohol right now, which a lot of people are doing. But I know that if I if I do do that, I'm going to feel even more tired than I feel right now, and my patience is going to be even more limited. Um, so those are the three things I'm trying to stay focused on, which means that eyebrows, hair color, haircut, because I'm dying for a haircut, all of those things just have to take a back seat, mm. you know. Even letting my kid eat cereal three times a day is okay right. <laughs> if it means that today I stay sane, you know, and don't don't kill them. Yeah, protecting, <laughs> protecting yourself at all costs, yeah. You know, it's funny that you talk about the alcohol. I have not really been drinking through this. Um, it's just a a place I don't want to go right now. Cause I just know it'll lead to more weight gain for me. But, um, it's so interesting. Last night I went to bed very late and I woke up very early this morning. So I only got a few hours of sleep and, uh, I'm feeling really emotional today. Like every little thing that, you know, I, my sister-in-law said something to me today about, she thanked me for something. And I was so emotional about like, oh, like the, the reaction was not, uh, you know, what was necessary for what she was saying to me. It was very kind of her, but I didn't have the ball about it, you know? Um, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, here, I got to pay attention. I have to listen. I'm obviously tired. I need to get some rest today. And that might mean putting aside this thing that I said I wanted to do. And yeah. that's okay. And just giving us permission to do that. Absolutely. Taking care of yourself and sleep. I think making sure we get enough sleep right now, just in the same way, Jen, we were talking about making sure that we're, we're, you know, we're eating and we're not um, trying to not overeat or be aware if we are and trying not to undereat and be aware of that. But in addition to that food piece, gosh, sleep is like the the next so essential item on the list, you know? Yeah. It's all tied in, right? Yeah, it so is. Melanie, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really hope that, you know, this gets better soon. I know you're in the city and it's just so, I was there the other day. I took photos in the city. It was just so eerie, so empty, so heartbreaking. But, you know, we are, as they say, New York tough and we will get through it. So I wish you a lot of luck. Um, Where can everybody find you that wants to learn more about you and your center and more about eating disorder recovery? Terrific. I would direct them to my website, Jen, which is balancedtx.com. That's balance with a D, tx.com. And they can go online there, Jen, and they can register for a free 20-minute discovery call with us um, where if they think they might be struggling and they're just not quite sure or a family member, um, with that complimentary call, we can uh, get a sense, a better sense of if we can help them or if they need resources or just help them kind of figure out what might be going on that might be distressing them. Perfect. And we will have all the links on the show notes as well. Great. I I really appreciate you, Melanie. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much, Dan. Bye for now. If you're listening to this podcast and you think you know somebody in your life that might be struggling with an eating disorder or could use some help, please feel free to forward them this podcast. What we're doing here is just trying to help kick-ass women that need a kick in the ass and make sure they live the biggest life as they possibly can. I hope you guys are all staying safe, washing your hands, sending you virtual hugs. Till next time.